Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, which is part of the 90 Min Football family with me, your host, Harry Simu, coming to you live today from 90 Min Towers. Um, hope everyone's good. Hope everyone's well. Hope everybody here in the UK is dealing with the cold snap. It is bloody freezing, isn't it? I had to not just wear a massive coat today, but I had to put a body warmer on on top of my jumper on top of my T-shirt, on top of a vest. Yes, a vest. I haven't worn a vest since I was about 11, but I had to wear one because it is that bloody cold here. I'm sure there are other parts of the world in which it's far colder, and you're going to tell me that in the live chat, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, finally got going uh, here in um, Nightmare Towers, ready to bring you guys another episode of the pod. I feel like the, the podcasts have been a little bit depressing over the last couple of weeks, it feels like we've been firefighting, trying to kind of stay calm, but also identify what the issues are and discuss how maybe the club can fix them. And I think despite some of the reports that we heard over recent weeks with regards to, um, you know, what uh, what's happening with, um, you know, the, the profit and sustainability situation and the fact that we're, of course, not quite um, you know, not quite in a position where we can go out and spend a lot of money. I think there was a little bit of optimism and a little bit of hope that maybe we'd find a way of doing something. And as the window progresses, and I know we're not right at the back end of it yet, but what we're 10 days into it, so we're a third of the way through, I'm starting to wonder if Arsenal are going to do any um, business at all over the course of this window. If they are looking for loan deals, if they are looking for sort of opportunities in the market. You might see some movement at the back end of the window, but I wouldn't sit here at this stage expecting it is kind of my message at this moment in time. We talked about Amadou Anana yesterday. I told you guys that my information was that um, nothing had been nothing had been done. Um, nothing had been discussed between the two clubs, which means that even if there is an interest from Arsenal, um, and there have been conversations between Arsenal and the players' representatives or Arsenal and an intermediary, for example. It doesn't really mean anything at this moment in time. So am I expecting business? No. Um, and on this episode of the podcast, I want to talk about maybe business that we should be looking to do in the summer. Um, I think the break gives us an opportunity to kind of just shift the focus a little bit. I don't want to talk about um, selling players in January because I don't think you're going to see much of that. Um, and I think that we are going to end up, if we do do that, because we're doing it out of desperation, we're going to end up being shortchanged on some of our assets that we have at the club currently. So for me, um, you know, everything I'm going to speak about on this episode is with a view to the summer. So bear that in mind before we get into it. What we're going to do on this episode of the podcast is we're going to play a little bit of a game of keep or sell. Now, I've noted down one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players that I want to talk about. Um, over the course of this podcast, I'm going to tell you whether I think we should keep them or whether I think we should sell them come the summer. And then I want to get your takes from the chat box. And if there's any players that you think deserve to be in this conversation that I haven't included, throw their names in the chat. I'll pick out as many as I can and we'll take some of your questions at the end of the show. Let me say a few hellos, though, before we dive in. Big hello to Afsar Matz joining us from Chicago. A really good question from Skinny Slug, which we'll get into a little bit later on. We've got Sammy in the chat, uh, Wandering Minstrel, Christoph is with us, uh, Louis. Graham says, not a bad attempt at 10 a.m., Harry. Do you know what, Graham? Today it wasn't my fault. 
I know I always say that. No, most of the time when I'm late, it's my fault. I'm Greek. I was born late. It's how it goes. But the reason I was late today was because the 9.07 train that should have got me here for 9.37 was cancelled. So I had to wait for the 9.37 train to get me in. Um, and then I walked into the office, had to say the hellos, you know, the happy new years to those that you haven't seen yet. Um, set up the stream and here I am. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I said the podcast will be out by 11 was technically what I said. And so if I finish this by 11 and quickly upload it, I'd still be on schedule technically. But hey, um, yeah, you, you're right to pull me up on it. Uh, big hello to Mohammed as well, who joins us. He says, uh, sending you my warm greetings in this weather. Look, I told you someone would tell me that it's colder where they are. 18 inches of snow um, in New York the other day. Wow. And I'm sitting here complaining. Wandering Minstrel says he's uh, in full thermals. Uh, he was on the streets of London at 4 a.m. Mike Freeman says, hi, Harry, with regards to sort of transfer activity. I think we should keep our nerve. Partey and Timber to come back. And I think the attack will click. Stick Kai up top for a few games. He'll start purring soon enough um i like the idea of kai havertz continuing up front especially if we're going to be without gabriel jesus for a period of time now i'm going to do an episode on that that is my planned episode for tomorrow unless something else major breaks um so i'll get into the reasons for that then um but anyway let's um let's dive into today's edition of keep or sell. And there are plenty of players on the agenda. Okay, the player I want to start with is someone who has actually been attracting attention uh, from a number of Serie A clubs, most notably in recent days, Napoli. Um, Milan have been linked. Uh, I think there's been talk about Juve as well. Um, you know, this is a player that we, we signed from the Serie A Jakub Kivior, um, he's come in from Spezia. There were big hopes around Jakub Kivior. The question, I guess, that you need to start with is, has he delivered, has he showed enough yet to justify our keeping him moving forward? So I think this is a really, really difficult one to kind of break down. And, and, in, and he's been a difficult player to judge because we haven't seen him really have a run of games in his preferred position, with the exception of right at the back end of last season, when, of course, we'd already blown the title. I remember at the time, all of us going, why didn't we use him when we were using Rob Holding? But, you know, the pressure wasn't there at that point. You know, it was very, very different circumstances in which he came into the side. So whilst I think he's a better centre-back than Rob Holding, and the fact that Rob Holding's gone to Crystal Palace and can't get a game there kind of backs up that point and proves that point, I find it very hard to judge Jakob Kivior on the really small sample size that we've seen here at Arsenal. What I know, and, and you know, yeah, of course, to a degree, it's my opinion. But what I'm really sure about is that the guy's not a left back. I'm really sure um, that, he's, that he's not a left back. He is someone who, for me, provides good cover at left centre back, but cannot be someone that you push into different areas of the pitch. You know, there are some centre-backs that find it quite easy to make that transition from centre-back to full-back. Ben White's done it brilliantly. Um, you know, uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu, who played most of his career at centre-back prior to coming to Arsenal, does it brilliantly. 
I think there are players that can do it. I just don't think that Jakob Kivior is one of them. But because I still think he has value in the centre-back position, and because I still think he's early, and it's probably unfair and harsh to judge him based on the little we've seen, I want us to keep Jakob Kivior moving forward. The amount of money that you're going to get from a Serie A club is never going to be an amount of money that makes you think, oh my God, this is too good to resist. Therefore, what's the point in weakening ourselves? I thought it was extremely unlucky to score the goal, the own goal that he did against Liverpool at the weekend. That can happen. All it takes is a slight misjudgment of the flight of the ball. We know how wicked those Trent Alexander-Arnold deliveries can be. And you can easily find yourself caught underneath it um, and in the middle of the motion to go and make a header. And before you know it, the ball's gone in off the back of your head. So I had a lot of sympathy for him. I, I, I sort of I remember the goal going in and thinking, I hope it's not Kivior. Because at the time, from the angle I was watching, Declan Rice was involved in the, the mix as well. And it wasn't because I wanted Declan Rice to be the one to score the own goal. But Declan Rice is held in such high esteem and he's got you know, this credit in the bank already with Arsenal fans that Jakob Kivior just doesn't have. And so you feel like someone like Rice could recover from something like that in terms of the perception of him really easily. Whereas someone like Kivior, who people I think are asking questions about, the last thing he needs is a moment like that in a game like that where, you know, ultimately it has a big impact on the result. But my um, my conclusion on Jakob Kivior is that we should keep him and that he should get another season at Arsenal before, um, you know, we're, we're in a place where we're questioning whether or not he's got a future at the football club. So that's my take on Jakub Kivio. And I can see from the comments that a lot of you agree. Um, Graham says, uh, keep, it's way too early to sell. What would other transfer targets think of the way we do things if we blow him out so soon? It's a really good point. Wandering Minstrel says Kivio should stay. Um, Lushane says uh, Jakob can stay slightly lapses at times but he's good centre-back cover uh, Louis says Kiv should stay he's a good option for the centre-backs uh, Hacker says keep um, Sam Bod says keep for sure but he does look average I, I, I don't know if you can say that he looks average because Again, the sample size is so small and you, you always have to factor in the circumstances under which a player comes into the side. And I think that, you know, at the end of last season, he came in, I thought he looked quite good. I thought he looked better than average. Um, I think the only times he's looked average has been at left back. And that is just simply not his position. And I keep saying this, I said it on yesterday's show, he's probably the fourth choice at the football club at left back. So circumstances have dictated that he has to play there. That was not the intention when he was brought in. Um, and so, yeah, I'm a little bit um, reluctant to, to sort of label him as good, bad, average, whatever. I think we still need to see a lot more. This is a really, really interesting question. Would you sell him if it's made space for a younger, high potential centre-back like Hato? Of course, the young Ajax defender who's been linked with Arsenal. Um, it's a hard one because I think we need more centre-backs. So, you know, if you want to compete on multiple fronts and you've got to factor in as well, remember that, you know, our hope is that we're going to be in the Champions League again next season. And that means more games because there are more games in the new format of the Champions League. So the more centre-backs you have, the better. Obviously, the, the, the question comes, can you keep them all happy 
and all the rest of it, will players settle for that role um, at a side or will they prefer to go somewhere where they're guaranteed more regular game time? I would like to get both of them because I think that Hato, you know, he's doing well in Dutch football at the moment, but he's not as far down the progression line in terms of his own development as Jakob Kivior is. So, no, I wouldn't sell him to bring him in. I think you should be able to do that as an additional thing. Um, Colin says, I think Kivior probably doesn't want to stay because, of course, he'll want regular games. And that's the balance that in act that you have to find as a manager, right? You have to, you know, you have to weigh that up as well. Does Jakob Kivior want to be a part of a squad in a rotational capacity or does he want to go elsewhere? And if he's pushing and he doesn't want to be here, then that makes the decision um, an easy one to make, doesn't it? So, yeah. Um, but for me personally, I'd keep a hold of Jakob Kivior. Let's move on to our next player. Okay, the next player I want to talk about is Alexander Zinchenko. And I'm going to group this one up with Gabriel Jesus because both of them came in at around about the same time and both of them, I think, played a massive role in elevating Arsenal's level from a side that were competing for a top four position to a team that many thought last season would go on and win the Premier League. Obviously, it didn't happen. But the step up and the change that occurred so quickly was not mostly down to these two guys, but was a lot to do with the fact that these two winners had come in and brought an extra layer of quality to our side. Jesus did so well up front last season, stringing things together, um, you know, bringing other people into the game, facilitating uh, the sort of progress of the Sackers, Odegaards, Martinelli's of this world. And then you had Zinchenko who came in at left back and never was a good defender, really, was he? Not even in his Manchester City days, but came in and brought us a, a, a new level of control because of his ability to go into midfield and make things happen. Um, brought us uh, the ability to progress the ball nice and quickly and early. Um, uh, you know, he was a bit of a cheerleader at times last season as well. Um, yeah, I, th I think, you know, both of them deserve a lot of credit because they brought a lot to the side. Now, you don't want to see huge turnover in terms of lots of players leaving every summer, lots of players coming in, because we've seen from other teams and from other examples that that doesn't really work. Um, you know, what you end up with is a lack of continuity, the cohesion is off, and you end up in a place where you're always trying to settle people in. And then at what point do you say, well, no, this is my settled team, this is my group, this is what I want, this is what I'm building towards. You should be making additions here and there to keep it fresh um, and to keep everybody on their toes. But you can't keep changing the structure and you can't keep turning over five, six players in, five, six players out every summer. It's not going to work. You're not going to see any progress that way. My issue with Zinchenko is nothing to do with what he does on the field. I think that there's a debate to be had around whether he's the left back that you use in the biggest fixtures. And I would argue, no, he's not. And I've said before that, you know, I would have played Tommy Asu at Anfield had he been available. I'd have played Jurian Timber at Anfield had he been available. And I stick by that. So in some games, Zinchenko gets demoted, in my mind, to the third choice left back. Other times, at home to Burnley, at home to Crystal Palace, at home to West Ham, sides that you're expecting to face a low block against, he's, he's the number one choice at left back. Is there an argument that he should be pushed into midfield and used as an option there? I think there probably is. But I'm not sure that Arteta's convinced by that. Because at times when 
you know, we've been really threadbare in midfield and we've had different options at left back. Arteta's never wanted to, to, to try that. He's never really wanted to have a go at pushing Zinchenko in midfield. I can think of it happening once. And I think that was only in game. I don't think it was ever something that we started with. Correct me if I'm wrong. My problem with Zinchenko, as I say, is not what he does on the pitch and not what he brings to the squad. But it's the frequency with which he's injured. You know, it's, it's it's happening way too often. And, you know, sometimes it's down to bad luck, but sometimes there are just players whose bodies are not going to allow them to, to meet the standards that a coach is demanding in terms of the work rate and effort that they put in and in terms of the intensity that the Premier League demands as well. I love the guy. I think he's great. I'm not saying I would sell him, but I am saying that he's one of those players that, we need to view as a luxury and not an integral part of our setup because his availability means that if we do that, we're going to end up getting burned and we're going to end up in situations where, you know, we've funneled so much of our play through him that when he's absent, we don't really know what to do. And I think you've seen that at times this season. You know, the game against Fulham, I know everybody was bad that day, but, you know, we were all talking about him defensively the week before having not been maybe at the standards and levels required. And then he comes out of the team and we haven't got a creative bone um, in our bodies. Like, it, do you see what I mean? So I wouldn't sell him at this stage, but I think we need to think about how much we rely upon him and start to view him as a bit more of a luxury than an essential, if that makes sense. I want to talk about Gabriel Jesus as well. Um, this is a player I adore. And when I hear people say, you know, get rid of him, he's he's no good, he's he's a letdown, he's always going to cause you problems because he doesn't score anywhere near enough goals, he's not clinical enough and all the rest of it. I get really defensive because I think he brings so much to the team. I think he brings so much to the table. But again, I put him in the same bracket as Zinchenko of, I'm really grateful for what you've done so far. And I think you are a huge asset. I think your experience is invaluable. I think your qualities are unique. And I think that there are games where you are really well suited to being our number nine. But if you're going to constantly break down with injuries again, I have to view you as a luxury rather than an essential. You know, he picked up that knee injury when he went off to the World Cup last season. Mid-season World Cup. Who'd have thought that someone would get injured um, from that? load of nonsense he comes back he has to have that surgery on the knee then a few months down the line he has a problem again with regards to some scar tissue that was remaining left over from that knee injury that he had in the first place he had to have that dealt with and now at the time of recording he's out again having had a knee scan and we don't know what the um, what the diagnosis is and how long he's going to be out for. Now, all the noises that the club are putting out suggest that it's not serious and that he's not going to be out for a long time. There is hope among some of us that he'll be back after the um, mid-season winter break, whatever you want to call it. But can you rely on someone who is so susceptible to injuries? And the fact that it's the same knee and it's constantly playing up, that worries me, that concerns me. If it were the other knee, I'd be less concerned. And, and the reason I say this is because I had a really, really bad knee injury um, a few years ago for which I had to have surgery. And obviously this is not com 
this is not comparing myself to Gabriel Jesus, but the point I'm trying to make here is that I know that when one bit goes, so like my knee went from all the conversations I had with physios and, and all the sort of physiotherapy I had afterwards, what that does is it means that you end up putting strain on other parts of your leg. Um, it means that you end up putting more strain on your other knee, for example, because you, your body feels the weakness and naturally you lean that way. Naturally, you do that. So I lost a lot of muscle around my knee when when that injury happened. And I know that these guys are top level athletes, right? And they've got loads of um, specialists and experts around them who will help them build it up. But what I started to feel afterwards was a pain in what I thought was the back of my knee. But it was actually an issue with my hamstring that a physiotherapist identified and had to like sort of work on for a little while. And once that was resolved, once I started having those sports massages on my hamstring, my knee felt better. So it's all connected and it can cause other issues. So if you told me that because Gabriel Jesus has had a knee problem, he's now picking up a hamstring problem because of it or as a result of that, then I go, okay, I get it. It happens. But when it's the same issue, you've got to start to worry about it. So again, Jesus, I want to keep him now. I don't want to sell him. I don't even want to sell him in the summer. I think we need to add to him, though. I think we need another option up front that is regarded as being just as good and just as effective because, if not better, because, you know, again, a bit like Zinchenko, I don't know that I would, if I was a manager, pin all my hopes on someone who I'm worried about fitness-wise. And there's a lot of players in this Arsenal squad and in this list that I'm going to talk about today that I look at and I think the same thing. I think you're a really good bloody footballer and I really, really want to keep you. But can I afford to gamble my job as a manager? Because if Arteta doesn't succeed, if Arsenal don't continue making progress, the calls and the noises for him to be sacked are going to be louder and louder. And ultimately, if the results don't come because he has pinned his hopes on players that keep letting him down, then, you know, that's that's a horrible thing to see develop. So he's going to have to be ruthless at some point with some of these players. Or if not ruthless, he's going to have to make sure that he just accounts for what they're able to do physically into his thinking and therefore brings in other players whom he can build around and, and use those players over whom there are doubts as a supplement to that. But anyway, I'd keep Gabriel Jesus, I'd keep Zinchenko, but my mindset around them would be very, very different. Uh, going to take a short pause. When we return, we're going to talk Thomas Partey as well as a number of others. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast live. Okay, let's get into it. Arsenal's Ghanaian midfielder Thomas Partey is currently out injured. I feel like I've said that 101 times since he joined uh, Arsenal Football Club. He hasn't gone off to the AFCON. Um, thankfully, some common sense was applied. Uh, when discussions took place between Arsenal and the Ghanaian FA. He's uh, suffered a, a bad injury this year, which has kept him out for a long, long time. He's on his way back. He's in recovery, um, we hear. He's gone off to the Dubai training camp with the team. Doesn't mean he's available to play. Um, but that is a sign, I guess, that he is moving forward in his rehabilitation. Now, when I talk about players that I really, really like, but I just cannot rely upon... I look at Zinchenko and Jesus and I'm kind of on that tipping point of uh, uh, like if, if you told me that, you know, to the right, it's stand there if you think that he's a great footballer and you want to keep him. And 
and stand to the left if you think, you know, that we need to move on from this guy. I'm sort of right on the tipping point. And the reason I haven't moved over to the we can't rely on them camp and, and I'm not saying get rid of them is because I rate them really highly as footballers. And I don't think their injury issues have been that bad that, you know, that is going to override my feelings on their footballing ability. With Thomas Partey, though, I, I'm I'm on the opposite side here. Love the player. Thing is fantastic. Talked constantly in recent weeks about how much we miss him, about what he brings to the team that no other midfielder in our squad brings, not even the £105 million Declan Rice. But the injuries are too much of a problem now. Um, I've got no faith in Thomas Partey staying fit. And again, you cannot build around someone who isn't fit 50% of the time. He's played nowhere near enough games for Arsenal. And every season, you know, we're having this same conversation. He actually played a lot of Premier League games last season. Um, he did. I felt like at times he wasn't 100% fit. And I feel like at times we pushed him through that because we didn't have a Declan Rice. We didn't have an alternative. And maybe that extra strain that we put on him has got us to this point now where he's picking up more severe long-term injuries and problems. And I just think that, we need to, in the summer, go out and find a midfielder who can bring to the table a lot of the things that Thomas Partey does, that ball progression from deep, the physical um, power that he gives us, the, the the awareness, the defensive now, all of those things. You know, we might not find all of them. We might not find someone as experienced as Thomas Partey, but we need to move on from Thomas Partey in the summer. I'm not saying sell him now. I think that would be pointless. I think he's close to returning. And I think we could really do with him in the running. But there has to be a plan moving forward to move on from Thomas Partey for all of the reasons I've just mentioned. And it kills me to say that because I really, really rate the player. OK, let's talk Eddie and Ketia. Again, this is a hard one because I really like the guy. I really like the way he tries. I like his effort. I like his work rate. But is Eddie Nketiah good enough to play up front for Arsenal? The answer is no. Um, not in my opinion. Now, I said it on yesterday's pod. Clearly, Mikel Arteta sees something in him that we don't. I don't know what that is um, exactly. But to me, he's not at the level required. And he's also a very sellable asset for a number of reasons. A, he's scored goals in the Premier League before. I know this doesn't carry much weight with some, but he is England under-21s, his all-time top goal scorer, which is a good selling point. Um, homegrown, all of that stuff, you need to factor that in in the valuation. I think there'll be a lot of Premier League clubs out there that would look at Eddie Nketiah and think he could do a job here. And I think he could do a job at a lot of those clubs. For example, I don't think he's a worse player, worse striker than Dominic Solanke. Now, that might be a controversial opinion because Solanke is having a really, really good season in the Premier League. But I think Eddie Nketiah, if he plays regularly, could produce something similar at the right club in the right environment. So I'd sell Eddie because I think we need an upgrade on Eddie. And also because I think you'd get good money for Eddie. Now, if you're getting good money for someone, there's no longer any real value in keeping them around as a backup. Um, instead, you should cash in on the valuation and you should cash in on what's available and use that to progress you. There are other players like Let's take Thomas Partey right now, okay? Some would argue we should sell Thomas Partey in January. What are you going to get for Thomas Partey in January? Not enough for it to be worth what you're losing 
Now, with Eddie Nketiah, I think because of his reputation, because of the things he's done so far, I think you could get a decent amount of money. And therefore, I'm willing to sacrifice the footballer for that in the hope that I can use that money to then upgrade. So Eddie Nketiah in the summer for me should go. There's no point in moving him on now, though. You know, what are you going to get from for Eddie now? You know, what are you going to get for Eddie now? Do you know, I, I say what you're going to get for Eddie now. You, you, you might get something in for Eddie now. I sort of lost my trail of thought there. You might get something in for Eddie now. But then you need to use that money to go and get someone else. So if your target is Victor Osimhen, you know, you're you're not any closer really to doing that deal if you sell Eddie on the cheap. Now, Izualo says we could get 35 million now for Eddie. I think you could get 35 million, but the point I'm trying to make is then you need to go and use that 35 million. And if that 35 million doesn't get you the striker you want, if you need 70, 80 million to get the striker you want and ask the one in a position to top it up with the extra 40, 50 that you need, then what's the point in doing it now? It's a short window and you can't lose, you can't risk losing Eddie now and then not replacing him because Eddie's value due to the contract length, I believe will still be there come the summer. So I'd keep Eddie for now but come the summer, I'd be looking at Eddie as a way of funding maybe half of what I need to bring in the striker that I want or, or something close to that. Even if it's a third of the funds, um, you know, it's something, isn't it? It helps. Another player I want to talk about is uh, Reese Nelson. Again, another one. Um, wait until the summer. Um, actually, do you know what? If a good offer comes in, I will take it now. I would take it now. Sounds like I've just changed my mind in the last 10 seconds. The reason I'm saying that I would take it now with Reese Nelson is when I think about the options we got, he played the other day, but we had Martinelli on the bench. We had Trossard on the bench. We had Emil Smith-Rowe on the bench. They all could have played on that left-hand side. So do we really need to keep Reese Nelson? I think if you can get a good amount of money in for Reese Nelson, I don't really know what a good amount of money for Reese Nelson is because he plays so little football. I think 15 to 20 million, I'd probably take... I think I would. I think I'd take 15 to 20 million um, right now for, for Reese Nelson. So he is one I would let go um, now. Um, and I'd definitely be looking to let go in the summer. And he'll want to go at some point as well. I know he spoke to Tom yesterday and he said, or on Sunday, and he said, you know, I'm really happy to be here. I just want to concentrate on getting back in the side or the rest of it and, you know, showing the boss that I can do it. You know, the reality is that you don't have a future at Arsenal. Moving on, Emil Smith-Rowe. This is a tough one. Because when you look at how little he's being utilised at the moment, you think to yourself, well, if someone came and offered £30 million now in January, why wouldn't you take it? But there's a part of me with Emil Smith-Rowe that wants to give him more time because I know what a good player he can be. There was a time where I looked at Emil Smith-Rowe and Bakayo Saka and thought Emil Smith-Rowe was the more talented of the two. Saka had the pace and the, the dribbling ability and the, the engine on him and all the rest of it. But Emil Smith-Rowe just had this swagger about him. He had something. But it all depends on what the long-term game is with Emil Smith-Rowe. Now, if you're Mikel Arteta and you have made up your mind that this guy has no future at Arsenal and someone comes in with an offer 
now in January, you might as well take it because you're not using him anyway. You're not playing him. You bring him off the bench for 10 minutes at maximum here and there. The other day he came on for the last three minutes of the game or whatever it was. So if the opportunity to get the money in is there, then you should probably take it if you don't believe that he has a future at this football club moving forward. So it all depends on your mindset there. I hope that he has a future at this football club, but am I convinced that he does? I'm not under this current manager. And therefore, on the balance of things, if the right offer came in, I think I would sell him in January. And therefore, if I would sell him in January, then I would be open to the idea of selling him in the summer as well. Knox, I don't rate him. Knox, I don't think he's talented just because if there's no future, what's the point? The asset that we have in Emil Smith Road is depreciating all the time. Why wouldn't we want to cash in on that? If, as I say, there is no chance of him establishing himself back in the first 11. Okay, one more short pause. And when we're back, we're going to talk Aaron Ramsdale. This one should be interesting. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna Podcast. Welcome back along to the show. Let's talk Aaron Ramsdale. Would I sell Aaron Ramsdale? Certainly not in January um, because, again, he's on a long-term contract. He's a goalkeeper that's very highly regarded. Thought he came in and done quite well the other day. Um, did brilliantly. I would want to keep Aaron Ramsdale in an ideal world, but I also understand that Aaron Ramsdale might not want to stay anymore. He might feel... Like his days at Arsenal are numbered, he might feel a little bit betrayed by the manager and, and the way things have kind of gone down. If you're asking me right now, is it a controversial opinion? I don't think it is, but I'd rather keep Ramsdale than Raya. I'm just not seeing it with Raya at the moment. I just, it isn't there for me. Now, there's obviously some kind of underlying metric somewhere along the line that Mikel Arteta and his staff look at and think, yep, great. This is why he's our number one. But it's not looking good, is it, in terms of his chances of staying and his chances of re-establishing himself in the starting eleven? If Ramsdale wants to go, and I suspect that come the summer, if things haven't changed, he will want to go, then you've got to sell him. Because, again, he's too good an asset, too valuable an asset to just um, let depreciate and rot on the bench. And the thing is that we know that this profit and sustainability stuff is a problem for us at the moment. And Arsenal probably aren't panicking about that because they know that come the summer, for example, you're going to get money for Smith Rowe. You're going to get money for Ramsdale. You're going to get money for Nelson. You're probably going to get money for Nketiah. And this is where Arsenal have been quite clever in giving these guys contracts. So you think about Nelson, you think about... I beg your pardon. You think about Nelson and you think about Nketiah, neither of which were regulars in the side at the time they were offered new deals and you, you're sitting there and you're scratching your head and you're thinking why are we giving these guys new deals um but the reason was to protect their value and in protecting their value you go into the summer in a position where you can now sell for a good amount of money so this has all been planned this has all been carefully thought out um Aaron Ramsdale for me should be Arsenal's number one goalkeeper and I hope that he finds his way back into the team. I, I, I've always said that Ramsdale just needs to kind of shut up and get on with it and produce when he 
is given the rare opportunity. And I thought he had a really good game against Liverpool the other day. So he's done his bit. Now it's over to Arteta. If things don't change still, then, you know, you can't blame him for, for maybe knocking on the boss's door at the end of the season and saying, I want to move away. But yeah, that's where I'm at uh, on this at the moment. So I would keep Ramsdale, but Willie, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, then uh, let's get some of your questions from the live chat box. I've got one favorited already that I want to dive into. That thing is really, really interesting. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, uh, could you please leave a like on the video if you're watching us on YouTube? It really, really does help. Subscribe to the channel as well if your brand's banking new. If you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review as well. Um, appreciate your love and support as always. Let's try and get up to 100 likes. That should be more than achievable. There's more than enough of you watching us live at this moment in time. Okay, let's take some of your questions then. I want to take this one that came in right at the top of the show from Skinny Slug. Morning, Harry. Do you think Arteta has reached his ceiling? I think this is a really complex question. And that's why I like it. That's why I favorited it. That's why I started it. And that's why I've come back to it. Do I think Mikel Arteta's reached his ceiling? I think it's very easy to go yes or no. And actually, in football management, it isn't just about the manager's ceiling. It's about the player's ceiling. It's about the player's mentality. It's about the circumstances. It's even got to the point where it's about refereeing decisions and and needing a bit of luck in that sense as well. So I think it'd be extremely harsh to sit and say, look, if we don't win the Premier League this year or we don't win the Champions League this year, it'll be because Mikel Arteta has hit his ceiling and he can't go any further. It's a fair opinion to have, but I think this is a much more nuanced debate and conversation. I think he gets better and better as the years go by. Um, Mickey says, or Mikey says that in the chat as well. I think we are in a place where he's certainly tactically more versatile than he was right at the beginning. Um, I, I disagree with Hacker when he says he isn't adaptable. I think he's very adaptable. Um, I think he's made some silly decisions over the course of maybe the last six months that have proven with hindsight to be silly and I, I didn't want to be too critical at the time because you never know um you never know but if Arsenal were to let's say and and Rob makes a point in the chat the answer to his ceiling will be answered in May miss the top four and that is a serious debate if Arsenal didn't make the top four then I'd accept questions around Mikel Arteta's management and I'd accept the idea that it's because some of the decisions he made have put us in this position where rather than progressing instead we've regressed but if we were to finish third i don't think you could sit there and say well that is definitely solely on Mikel Arteta i think you've got to factor in injuries a loss of form some key players at key times some of the bloody decisions that have gone against us man i mean if you think about the Newcastle, we'd have two extra points. We'd have an extra point from the game against Newcastle. We'd have probably a point from the game against Aston Villa where the, the, the referee apparently saw the ball come off of Kai Havertz's fingernail in the lead-up to what should have been the equalising goal. And there are other moments as well. 
over the course of the season. We should have more points on the board. And if we do, then you're looking at it through a really different lens and you're saying, well, actually, hold on a minute. Arsenal are right in the thick of the title race again. I mean, only we're only five points behind Liverpool and we play them at the Emirates next month. Win that game and you're two points behind them. So we're not out of it by any stretch of the imagination. But I understand why if we don't make the top four, questions need to be asked. My problem with saying it's because of Arteta and, and his ceiling. Um, and that's why, you know, we won't get anywhere, etc., etc. Is that it's not just on him, is it? You need players to deliver in key moments. You need players to stand up and be counted when it matters. And unfortunately, it's not happening. Um, talked a lot about Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli in particular, not taking chances. Jesus hasn't been taking chances either. Um, and obviously now, you know, there's a chance that we're going to be without him for a little while. I think that the Partey thing's a big deal. I think the Timber thing's a big deal. The point I'm trying to make here is that you can't just pin it all on a... Like, people have this assumption or this 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 mindset of a manager, because they are ultimately responsible for the results, which is right, can influence every single variable in a game of football. And the truth is they can't. It's not a game of FIFA. Mikel Arteta is not standing in the technical area with a controller directing where players position themselves, directing them when to shoot, what type of finish to choose, um, whether to make a sliding challenge or whether to stand up. You know, you can't be influential over every single variable in the game of football. That's why it's such a fascinating game. That's why you see... Um, that's why you see shocks in football. That's why you see um, memorable moments because it is one of those things where, you know, it, it's different. That, that, that's the beauty of football as a game. Um, I agree that if we don't make the top four, then questions need to be asked of him. But I also will want to look at the context around that at the time as well. Um, and that's really important. For example, if he lost Gabriel and Saliba, Let's just say, worst case, touchwood, it doesn't happen. But if you lost Gabriel and Saliba for six weeks of the season and we ended up conceding a, a load of goals, shipping goals left, right and centre, the argument would be against him would be that his squad wasn't good enough. He spent a lot of money, but the squad's still not there. But however many players you got, you know, it's very rare that you're going to have a second 11 that are as good as your first 11. So there's always going to be drop off somewhere along the line. Man City. Brilliant team, incredible squad, incredible depth. Take Rodri out of the midfield. Look what happens to him. Because some players are so good and so influential, it doesn't matter how many replacements you have waiting in the wings. You're going to get that drop-off in level. Um, let's see what else we've got. There's a few really, really good questions in here. And I, there's a few comments on the Arteta thing that I want to address. Um Graham says, what I fail to understand is why he hasn't utilised his squad this season. I mean, Smith throw Nelson and some youngsters. Now we're in a place where we can't afford to use them because they're not match ready. Now, I'm not saying I agree with this, but I could only assume that it's because Arteta doesn't trust them. Arteta doesn't think that they're good enough. Um, none of the players that you've mentioned there are players that he brought into the club. I think He's decided he can't rely on Emil Smith-Rowe fitness-wise. Um, I think 
you know, you could say, well, he gave Smith Rowe a new contract and then he also signed off on giving Nelson a new contract. But as I say, I think those things have been done partly with football in mind, but partly with the financial gain that could come down the line in mind as well. Um, the thing with the youngsters, I, I think too much is made of that, to be honest with you. Um, how many games have we played this season where there's been zero jeopardy? Where we've been able to comfortably say here, 17 year old get off the bench mate have a run out it's not happened often psv eindhoven away was probably the one time because we'd gone through and won the group where i thought he could have done something like that and he didn't chose not to chose to try and keep the the the, the continuity going again i'm not sure i agree with that at the time i still don't agree with it now but you know that is the only occasion on which i think it was unforgivable is the point i'm trying to make uh, Robert says, can I add, do we think that Mikel Arteta has affected the super positive spirit? I don't know. I think I think that's speculation because we can't possibly know. You know, I think that David Raya coming in obviously upset a lot of Arsenal fans because of that affiliation and that connection that we felt to Aaron Ramsdale. But at the back end of last season, there were a lot of Arsenal fans equally saying, well, Aaron Ramsdale's a bit rash and a bit erratic at times. And, you know, he gives away silly, silly goals by throwing the ball out to forwards and all the rest of it. So you can't always have it both ways. This thing about one of the things that frustrates me most in football is when people say X has lost the dressing room or, um, you know, there's there's obviously disharmony in the camp. It's, it's really difficult to know that unless it's being leaked out. I think sometimes it's obvious. I think some, like you look at Man United sometimes under Eric Ten Hag and you see a lack of effort, you see a lack of um, camaraderie, you see a lack of togetherness and you think maybe he has lost the dressing room. Why? Because there is minimal effort being applied. Then There's not that, you know, we're all in this together sort of attitude clearly on display. I don't think I can say that about Arsenal this season. Can you say that you've watched Arsenal this season and, and that you've seen the not fighting for one another, not competing, not trying. Because I, I don't think we've seen that. I think we've seen the quality drop off at times and the level not be where it is or where it should be or where it was last season, but not for lack of trying. And I think that's the difference here. Um, this, Darren says, the standout questionable decisions Arteta's made, getting Raya, playing Partey at right back, dropping Gabriel at the beginning of the season, buying Havertz, the list can go on. But some of those have not been issues. And, and this is my issue with these kind of lists, right? Getting Raya. Do you think we'd have conceded less goals if Aaron Ramsdale was in goal? Because I don't actually think so. I look at it and I think defensively, we haven't really been that far off what we should be. Like we up until a few weeks ago, and obviously things have gone a, a little bit wrong with the games against West Ham and Fulham. We had the same defensive record as Liverpool who were top of the league. In fact, there was a point where we were better than them in terms of the defensive record. Up until Christmas, we had the best events in the league. Playing Partey at right back, did that cost us? Could argue maybe at the start of the season, Fulham at home. Um, it caused us a bit of an issue. Outside of that, you know, Partey hasn't been available, so are we making too much of that? Dropping Gabriel at the beginning of the season, I didn't agree with that at the time. I agree with you now. But again, in hindsight, did it really cost us? And the buying Havertz one, I mean, come on, man. Like, 
why do we always have to have a scapegoat? Why do we do this? We did it with Granite Xhaka for so many years. And last season, people were eating their words. Why are we doing it again with Kai Havertz? Now, you might think that that £65 million, which we haven't paid all up front, by the way, might be better. Might have been better spent elsewhere. And that's a fair argument and a fair point. But this narrative around Havertz at the moment, like the guy must go out there on the pitch every week and think, for God's sake, man, if I miscontrol one pass, if I misplace one pass, if I miss one shot, they're all going to be on my back. Why do we as Arsenal fans create this environment in which we make it even more difficult for players to succeed? I, I, I just don't get it. I, I really don't get it. Support the guy. Get behind him. Um, what else have we got? Dr. Pepper says, morning, Harry. I like Arteta, but his uh, lack of trust in players and stubbornness, stubbornness, I beg your pardon, leaves us feeling uneasy. Hope his assistants have the freedom to speak their minds and help him to make difficult decisions. I'm sure that they do. I'm sure that there's some, you know, frank conversations that happen behind the scenes that obviously we'll never be privy to. But, um... Yeah, I, there's obvious, look. There's there's a reason that he doesn't. Like, I remember when, I remember when Liverpool first kind of rose to prominence under Jurgen Klopp, right? And one of the things people used to say about them was the reason they're so good is because they play with the same bloody eleven, week in week out. You knew what it was going to be. You knew it was Allison in goal. You knew it was Trent at right back, Robertson at left back. You knew it was Van Dijk and Matip at centre back, for example. You knew in midfield it was going to be. Henderson, Vinaldum, um, and you know, maybe Coutinho at one stage, or you know, whatever. You knew it was going to be Salah, Mane, and Firmino up front. You knew what at least eight or nine of the eleven were going to be. And that consistency was a big part of why they were as successful as they were. Now, unfortunately for them, their success didn't turn into as many trophies as it probably should have because they had Manchester City um to compete with at that time. And so we have to measure our success as well. Like last season, we were the best team in the Premier League bar Manchester City. That is a, a big jump forward in comparison to where we were before that. Now, it didn't end with a trophy because Manchester City are just that damn good. I don't think there's another team in world football that could have put together the run they did at the end of the season that made sure that any little mistake we made was capitalised on. Um. But yeah, you know, Liverpool rose to prominence by playing a, a relatively consistent eleven. Now Arteta wants to do that. Now you can't say that that's wrong because it's worked before for somebody else. You can't say it's wrong. You can argue that because of the amount of games we play now, you know, maybe you need to kind of adapt to that. And I think Pep's adapted that quite well. Um, but but Pep's got the ability to go out and get the best players and stockpile them. You know, Pep Guardiola went and got, or Man City went and got Calvin Phillips. How much did they pay for him? 35, 40 million pounds? And they don't even want him. He doesn't get a look in. We could never go and pay that kind of money for a player and stockpile, stockpile, stockpile them. We could do it for a certain period of time. And then we'd get to a point where we have to make a decision on them. Either I'm going to start using this guy or I'm going to let him go. And that's the point we're coming to with a lot of the players that we've mentioned 
on the pod today in our keep or sell segment. I just people look this this is another classic one that that I that not you mate but <laughs> not you Andrew but that just winds me up generally speaking. We've spent more money than Man City. We had to spend more money than Man City because look where we were coming from and look where they were coming from when Pep Guardiola took over. You know, if you fall behind, you need to spend money to catch up because you need to overhaul an entire squad. Manchester City have been in such good nick for a number of years that they can go through every summer and pick out two or three players that they think are going to take them up to the next level. We have had to do a full rebuild and that costs money and it takes time. And I think when you look at this, the, the, the position that we're in now, look, they're not on great form at the moment, but Saka and Martinelli, what a couple of assets they are. Odegaard, brilliant. Declan Rice, what a signing that was. Saliba and Gabriel as your centre-backs, fantastic. We've got two good goalkeepers. We've got a lot going for us and that is as a result and as a consequence of the rebuild that we've been through over the last three years or whatever. Um, we had to also spend a lot of time, but also effort and money getting rid of players that we signed that were mistakes in the past. You know, we spent so much time trying to deal with that. And that obviously adds to the time that you then need to turn it around. Look, I'm going to leave it there because we're just going to go around in circles, but... There are players that I think we need to look at and think about whether they have a future beyond the summer. And if we are going to keep them, we need to maybe redefine what their roles are within the group. I think that's where I'm at with a lot of those players, with the likes of Zinchenko, Jesus, Partey, great footballers, but where do they fit in the picture if they can't stay fit and available? But I also know that that's not down to a manager necessarily. And I also know that that is something that you know it, it it can it can it can just creep up on you Jurian timber coming in that crept up on us not him coming in but the injury that he suffered which meant that that was a dud signing basically so you can say we spent 65 million on Kai Havertz and that that was a mistake but we also spent 35 million on a player that we've not got more than 45 minutes out of so you need to look across the board when trying to identify maybe what's gone wrong um, and, and why we haven't been as consistent maybe as we were last season. Uh, Graham says Trossard. I didn't put Trossard in my list because I'm happy with Trossard. I think he's a really good squad option. don't think he's more than that. Um, he's not a starter for me, but he's a really good squad option. And um, I wouldn't even consider selling him at this moment in time. Again, unless an offer that was too good to turn down came in. Right, I'm going to leave it there. We've been going for nearly an hour. Thank you all so, so much for joining me. As always, if you're watching this back on Playback, let me know your thoughts in the comments. Uh, don't forget to like the video. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. I think we're about 20 likes away, guys, from hitting the, um, the target. So if you wouldn't mind, leave a like on your way out. Subscribe. If you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. And we'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Until then, take care of yourselves. Have a great day. I need to go and get myself a hot drink because my throat is tingling again. I will see you all soon until the next one. Take care, guys. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.